On this episode of Narcissist Apocalypse, we talk with an abuse survivor named Penelope. And Penelope was married to a sexually coercive and physical abuser. It's a story of de-escalation modes, proving yourself, mixed messages about money, and the relationship with your body. Welcome to Narcissist Apocalypse, everyone. This is a podcast that gives a voice to survivors of domestic violence. I am Brandon Chadwick, but my friends call me Chad, and thanks for tuning into this episode. So what is a narcissist, you may ask? Well, for the purposes of this podcast, we refer to a narcissist as anyone who has displayed a pattern of behavior that shows a limited capacity to appreciate others' perspectives. It is that simple. And before we get to our recording, our show today with Penelope, I just want to put out a big warning here. I'm going to do it again right before the show starts, that this episode discusses sexual coercion and physical abuse. It does so in, in a graphic way, and there's a, a lot of talk throughout the whole episode. So this is a trigger warning for everyone. If this is going to be a problem for you, don't uh, listen to this episode. And after that little warning right there, I just want to say that if you want to be a guest on our show, please do go to our website at NarcissistApocalypse.com. Top of the page, there is a button there that says Guest Form. You click on that button, and it will take you to a page with all of our instructions. You can either send us an email or fill out our guest form on the website, and we will go from there. But please do follow our instructions that are there and send us uh, all of the information back in that format. And for other people that need support that listen to our show, or you don't have to listen to our show, you just need support, please also go to NarcissistApocalypse.com. We now have a community support button at the top of the page, and that takes you to our very own safe social network. Our community members on there are posting in our forums. We have integrated Zoom support meetings on Wednesday nights and Saturday nights. We have meditation ceremonies. We have closure ceremonies. We just have a great group of people on there who are there to support you when you need it. They are shoulder when you need it. They're there to cheer you when you need it. So if you want some more support, please do go to our community today at NarcissistApocalypse.com. Top of the page, press that community support button. And if you need even more support, please do go to DomesticShelters.org. So if you or someone you know are experiencing abuse, you are not alone. DomesticShelters.org offers an extensive library of articles and resources that can help you make sense of what you're experiencing, and you can connect with local resources like shelters and find ways to heal and move forward. So please do go to DomesticShelters.org to access this free resource today. And thank you to all of the people who left us reviews in the past week. We, we got a bunch of new reviews, so big thank you to all those people adding reviews. 
Some people say it doesn't help you, but it, but it does because when people read those good reviews, people will click and listen to the show and we can help more people. So if you, whatever podcast service you use, but most specifically Apple, if you can leave a review on there, uh, that will be, uh, great for everyone involved. So uh, thank you in advance for doing that. And that is it, I think, for today. So I just want to say a big thank you to Penelope for coming on and sharing her story. She did a great job. This was the second time we had a recording. And we had a lot of technical issues throughout this episode. And she was a real trooper and stuck through it with me. So a big thank you to, to Penelope. And once again, uh, a trigger warning that we do discuss sexual coercion throughout this episode, and we also discuss physical abuse throughout this episode. It's uh, it, it's it's it might be too much for you, uh, so please don't listen to this episode if that is the case. And now, without further ado, here is my episode with Penelope. Welcome to Narcissist Apocalypse, everyone. With me today, I have Penelope. How are you? I'm good. I prefer to be called Penelope, though. (laughs) Everyone, this is Penelope, Penelope. We we have talked before uh, about the movie Club Dread by uh, the Broken Lizard who created uh, Super Troopers. And uh, we're both uh, the fans uh, of that comedy troupe. So we have been, you know, this is now, we're we're recording this for a second time. So we had a really good laugh the first time about the whole penal. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we had a joke. (laughs) And I think I killed that joke a lot last time. I think I, you know, I really dug that one into the ground, but I'm going to resurrect it here today. Thanking, thank you for, for letting me do that because um, I love doing Penelope. So anyway, everyone, I'm rambling here. Um, today, we are going to hear your story. Your story involved a lot of physical abuse and, you know, we hear a variety of stories on the show. Uh, sometimes it's just emotional abuse, and I say just, but sometimes it's emotional abuse, psychological abuse, and sometimes it is uh, physical abuse. And this one, uh, this plays a big role. And I just want to uh, thank Penelope for being here with me today. And now, without further ado, Penelope, the floor is now yours. Thank you. Thank you for um, having me here Um I know you said we talked before, and I, like a person who's been in an abusive relationship, you tend to make yourself small and censor yourself here and there. And I started to feel like it was too much, and then I realized there's a lot more to my story. So I appreciate this opportunity. Um, I'll kind of start with a little bit of the background. I didn't grow up with abuse in my home or in my you know, immediate community. I did not grow up with healthy relationships. You know, I saw my mom and dad fight and shut down and belittle and, and, you know, like, I don't know if my dad was emotionally abusive. I I think that because it's a spectrum, I think that he would shut down or, 
um, condescend and then my mom would shut down or she would lash out or she would throw something. And so it was just really unhealthy fighting. So that's how I learned. Um, and then I took that into my relationships and then I grew up, got married and a couple of years into that marriage, he was a very nice guy. And we had a baby and I was bored. I was like, oh, there's more to this. He's, you know, there's got to be more to life and he's boring. And I don't know. I mean, there was reasons for leaving. Um, reasons I later realized, like, he wasn't as mean as I made him out to be in my own mind. But I really villainized him. Um, he certainly had things to work on and could be condescending and whatever. But anyway, we now have a very lovely relationship. Would you say at the time that you both were... Uh, not emotionally mature enough to be married at that point? Right, exactly. Um, I didn't know a lot of things about communication that I know now. I didn't know how to be a good listener. I didn't know how to feel even my own feelings without shutting down. So I didn't have any tools to be a good partner. And um, so we split up and... We split it right when I found out that my dad was sick with cancer. And I thought, you know, I don't want to be like my mom who's, you know, ends up being with somebody for a really long time when she's not happy. And anyway, so I kind of like, I feel like in a way I justified that leaving by picking up where my mom, you know, left off. So my dad gets sick. And as soon as he, when he dies a couple of years later, I'm in a very, very dark place. And this is where I meet my abusive husband. So before we get to the, uh, you know, meeting this uh, abusive husband of yours, as far as you go, do you classify yourself as uh, an angry like kind of person or um, uh, someone who, um, it, what's the best way to put it, um, like, uh, like a take charge kind of person? I'll actually tell you, I I was such a people pleaser that I didn't even know that that's what I was doing. I was, I was feeling feelings I didn't know how to feel. And in order not to make anyone uncomfortable, I just said yes to a bunch of things I didn't want to do. Um, I thought, you know, I need to graduate college, meet a nice guy, get married, buy a house, have a baby. And I did all those things, but I did them out of this idea of I should be doing them and didn't even know who I was at that time. Um so, yeah. so, so at this time you're struggling with your identity of who you are. Um, you already have a lot of responsibility now uh, with your with your child. Are you feeling like you are not per se damaged goods, but that uh, you know now you're single mom? Uh, this is going to be tougher. Uh, how are you feeling about yourself, your self esteem, etc., going on at this point? So I had, I'm a serial relationship person. Currently right now, I'm love, lovingly single. I don't know how to say that. I'm, I'm single and it's amazing because I'm really taking care of myself. But at the time I went from, I was always in one relationship or another and they all often overlapped. I knew somebody was going to be there to help me feel special or pretty or wanted or whatever. And so when I left my husband, I immediately had a boyfriend and he, that relationship lasted the duration of my dad's sickness. So when my dad died, he broke up with me two days before my dad died. So my dad has just passed. My boyfriend has just dumped me. I have a little kid and I haven't even actually mourned my, my divorce yet. And I'm the one who's got to help plan the funeral, plan the this, plan the this, brother and sister having their emotional breakdowns. I already knew that. So I, at one point, I just remember thinking like, I, I think I need to call the mental hospital because I can't, I can't do this. I don't know. I, so I was in a very, very, very 
low point. And then I got on Tinder. So tell us about Tinder. I've never heard of the app before. <laughs> so um, I'm out at, the, at a friend's birthday and um, my other girlfriend is like, oh, get on a dating app. I'm like, isn't that a hookup app? I don't want to do that. She's like, just do it and we'll just swipe and I'll live vicariously through you. And I was like, okay. And I remember the psychic one time asked me about um, this specific name. And I was like, I don't know anybody named that. But I remembered in the back of my mind. So as I'm swiping, I find a guy comes up. He's got that name and he's got a little boy. And he's newly divorced, so I think, I'm like, oh, my gosh, like, this could be really good. So I swipe whatever way you're supposed to swipe, and we start talking. Um, and we had a first date, and I feel like in the first date or two, I learned a lot about his ex-wife. I learned, A, that he wasn't divorced yet. He was still in the middle of a divorce. And he was very quick to tell me that she was really crazy and that she treated him terribly. I really didn't have a frame of reference for this type of communication because I was always the take charge. Even though I was a people pleaser, that was, you know, the take charge part of me was, I think, a facade. But I always dated men. You know, I had more sexual experience than them or I was like, let's go do this. I just took more charge. And by the time I met this guy, I was like, I don't want to do that anymore. I want somebody else to just tell me what to do. Like, I I just, you know what I mean? Like, I flip-flopped. Did you you feel that maybe... Throughout your life, uh, are you the oldest sibling? Yes, I am. So did you feel that, you know, in you've been taking care of other people a, a lot and you wanted to be finally taken care of? You were tired. Right. That's exactly right. And I also, you know, when my, my parents made poor financial choices and we had to move and we had to like, you know, things got really disrupted when I was in formidable years and I never let myself be too mad about that. In fact, instead, I felt sad. How can I help my parents? And so I went to college and then I got a credit card for them. And then, you know, I just didn't want my mom and dad to be sad. And I, so I didn't let myself be sad about those change in circumstances. So when I met this guy, I was like, good, you make good money. You're ambitious. You know, by, by the first couple of dates, we're talking about trips and houses and the future. And it wasn't anything I'd ever had with any partner or my own family, really. And it just felt like, different. So just to kind of do a little bit of a roundup here, you are a people pleaser, but you didn't really know it at that time. You were someone who was outwardly a take charge type of person who was always responsible, uh, was a caretaker of sorts. And you at the same time here uh, are a single mom and you, your whole entire life knew only uh, we, that your finances were not great. So here you are finding someone who, um, it looks like a provider. Uh, they are stable. They have a kid just like you. You are able to look at them and say, okay, they, they probably have the same type of, of goals and everything. They, they are providing their stability. You can finally relax. You can finally maybe take a little bit of breather and have someone else take charge a little bit, especially now that you also have a child. So right here at the beginning, uh, opposite of other people, opposite of other relationships, and for you, uh, you know, stability. And it's something that you hadn't maybe even thought that you realized that you needed. And now uh, for a long time, but here it's there and you're like, oh, I can breathe. Right. Right. Exactly. Um, my ex-husband was stable in a really um, 
in a different way. And so this was stability in a way that came with a sense of financial freedom, which I'd never had. I grew up with words like, there's not enough money, or wait till we get paid, or this, you know, bill is late, or whatever, you know, floating a check. So for the first time ever, I had this person who said, he said things, he didn't, it was so strange, because I remember liking it in the beginning, but only a little bit. He was the first person I'd ever been with who had much more sexual experience than I did, um, had had, um, was like, let's do this. And instead of asking, he did it. He kissed me for the first time and didn't ask. And I remember that gave me pause because I was like, oh, he just, okay, I guess I'm going to go with this. I remember the first time he tried to like feel me up and I told him no. And, you know, I thought I was like in charge, but I, I just, I remember baby boundaries being broken at the time, but I don't think I knew that's what was happening because I didn't have any language around boundaries. I also was like, I'm tired. Take care of me. And and, and just last thing for everyone who's listening, who um, might not be an experienced person listening to uh, survivor stories or, or, or anything like that, you know, I was about to say your real name, uh, Penelope, uh, is is not a gold digger here. This is nothing to do with anything like that. It's just when you're used to um, growing up in in a certain type of way, and and someone comes along who you know you're a go getter yourself, and someone who is also an ambitious person comes along. It's it's nice to have someone who's on the same page that way, so you don't have to feel like you're carrying a load. Yeah, that's a good way to put it, and that's exactly right because. When we first started dating, he he and I made within $10,000 of each other. Like, he didn't make tons of money more than me. I knew, though, that, like you said, we both could, like, dream about houses. It wasn't like every time I said I want to do something, it wasn't met with that's too expensive or we can't afford that. And I ate, I loved that. Not to mention he played to my ego. Oh, you're so much better than my ex-wife. And she was so this. And, and so it just, it felt good. It felt good. Even when there were little things that weren't great, I just was like, eh, it's okay. So I'll give you kind of a rundown of the first six months of our relationship. Um, Started dating, and it was fun. And then we, uh, he asked me to move in with him, and I said yes. And I remember telling my best friend, we're going to move in. And she was like, oh, I don't think that's a good idea. I was like, it's fine. And what I told him, before he, I told him I before I told my friend, I said, isn't that a little fast? He said, people move in with each other all the time. Like, that's normal. Six months is a normal time. I was like, okay. But one of the first times that we had sex, and again, I don't know how explicit I can be, but... Go for it. He literally told me I orgasmed wrong. He was like, oh, I was done. And he was like, um, yeah. And I, he said like, oh, well, my ex-wife could do it multiple times. And I was like, but I'm good. And I remember laying there in my mind. I was like, okay, guess I'm wrong. Like, I guess this guy just told me that I don't do this right. And it was so strange. And then another time right around then I said, I was going to get in the shower. And he said, you know, you wanted to come in with me. And I was like, I'm not really ready for that yet. And he said, oh, it's okay. You'll, you'll be okay. And just came in the shower with me. And I just remember being like, okay, I guess I just told this guy that I didn't really want that. And I mean, I guess I'm okay. So it was really strange because for the first time I felt like I didn't have control or power and I didn't realize at the time that's what was happening. Well, he's telling you here how, how you feel 
Yes. You know, you know, this is what mm-hmm. happened. He's telling you how your body feels, how your, mm-hmm. your, your body isn't right. And then at the same time, so he's also violating sexual boundaries as far as, uh, you know, uh, I, not just space, but actual saying no. Mm-hmm. Um, right. So what happens from there? Um, one time he had uh, court all day long with his ex-wife. And he came over that night and said, I've had a really bad day. Can we have sex? And I said, okay. And I remember not later thinking about what an interesting thing. Like, that's what he needs to unwind. And I can be that for him. And so I felt special. Um, I don't think I wanted to have sex, but I wasn't, I mean, it wasn't forced by any means, but it was like, it was, I don't know. It was just the first time anybody had really asked me for something like that as a way to like calm down. Um, and the first time that we got in this fight, I had already decided I was going to move in. I put my notice in for my apartment and I was supposed to move in in about a week. I went and he went out for a work thing and got really drunk and didn't call me that night. And so when I called him, he answered around 11 o'clock and was wasted. And I was like, hey, what's going on? And he yelled at me and called me dramatic and broke up with me. And I was like, uh, okay. So then the next day I was like, I guess I have to figure out what to do. And I remember not responding. I didn't text him. I just, you know, I didn't do what I normally did when I felt that way, which is, you know, text and call and text and call and freak out. I was like, I'm just going to sit on this and let's see what happens. Well, the next day comes around like midday. He doesn't even apologize. He's like, hey, are we okay? And I'm like, I guess, I guess I'm going to still move in. And so the theme here is all these things are happening that are so confusing to me. He's telling me these things and, you know, like you said, telling me how I feel and telling me what my body feels like and, and then not apologizing, but then just kind of acting like nothing happened. And in hindsight, it's very strange to me that I just went with it. I just went with it. Um, so what do you what do you think is going on within you where you're just saying, okay, and you go with it? it, it are you being love-bombed in any way after or are you just confused? Are you like, okay, I've... I've given my notice on my place. All of these things are happening. He seems to be really into me. Like, mm-hmm. and is that like a big thing? Like he's everything else says he's really, really, really into me. And, you know, I shouldn't listen. This is a small thing that's kind of going on. I'm not going to pay attention to it. Yes. What happened was I felt like he was really into me. And, um, also, there was that sense of he still wanted to do the big planning. Let's go look at a house this weekend. I mean, why not? Um, and a house that we definitely couldn't afford. But there was talk of someday. And it just it felt easier to do it than to feel the other feelings that I was shelving. You know what I mean? I didn't want to feel those other ones. So this was just easier. So the shared future was a big sell here as far as blinding you. Not blinding you, but having you be like, okay. These other things, we have this future together. He's into me. This is, mm-hmm. this is, everything else here is great. This 95% is great. This 5% here, I can overlook that. Yeah. And also, I had never had that experience before. So I didn't actually know that it was wrong. Okay. Because I was like, I was kind of a jerk in my relationships before. So maybe this is normal. Maybe this is karma. Maybe I don't know. I just, I just kind of 
let it be okay. The biggest thing that happened before I moved in with him is he came over one night. So every Tuesday, he had a thing he had to do. And then one time he came over with his laptop and he said, I'm ready to tell you where I've been going on Tuesdays. And I was like, uh, okay. He said, I'm going to a court-ordered anger management class. And I was like, um, okay, again, my bells are not going off right now. Like, I remember listening, like, okay, okay. And he opens up his computer and he tells me the story of what happened that night. That one time with his ex-wife and he says, she punched, she punched me awake after being wasted. I... I defended myself, and these are my defense wounds. And he shows me a picture of bruises on his arm and tells me about all the lies that she's telling in court and that she tells them so often she must believe them and that he was just defending himself that night. And, again, I just went with it. Like, it's so bizarre to be saying that out loud because it feels it feels dumb, actually. So... Then I moved in with him, and the day I moved in, I did the moving by myself, and then when I moved in, um, when I got there with the with stuff in my car, he had fallen asleep, and I was like, hey, and I started walking stuff in. I was like, hey, you want to come help me? And he woke up. He was like, oh, God, and he got really mad at me. I was like, hi, I'm moving in today. Can you help me? And he was like, well, I just woke up, and give me a second. And, and, then, um, and then we went out that night for my birthday, like, and you know. He didn't even apologize for like, or, hey, let me help you with that. I also noticed he doesn't say bless you when you people sneeze, which I think is a strange thing when people don't do. Anyway, beside the point. So I only lived with him for, I don't know, three weeks. I went and had lunch with a friend of his. Well, he had one night where he got mad at me and said, fuck you, and ignored me all night. And I was like, okay. And I remember texting him from upstairs, like, hey, you want to come up here? And he was like, no, screw you. And I'm like, all right. So I like, totally ignored for like 24 hours and then no apology. And then a couple weeks later, a couple days later, I went to lunch with a colleague of his, a, a girlfriend, and we had all gone to Vegas together. We were friends. And she told me a story about somebody he dated in the office. And I was like, oh, weird, blah, blah, blah. And then I didn't, I didn't care. I mean, it was like a two-second story. And when I got back from lunch, I said to him, oh, yeah, we had such a good time. We ordered blah, blah, blah. Yeah, show me that girl you dated. That's so weird. Who cares? And then he was like, what? How dare you? And he lost it. And he said, you violated my trust. I can't believe you did that. Then he ignored me the whole rest of the day and the whole rest and the whole next night. Or the whole night and the whole next day. And then, um, so this is where the first violence comes in. So he is mad at me about that conversation ignores me the night happens then the next morning I am like at my wits end I remember I was holding a glass and we were upstairs and he's holding his son and he and I tried to finally continue I tried to talk to him like what is going on what did I do that was so wrong what you know how can I make this up to you and I don't remember what he said I just remember I threw this glass and it broke on the wall behind him while he was holding his son that is scary I also would like to say that is poor behavior. Um, I would also like to say I never did that again. But in that moment, I have no idea where he put his kid. All I know is that after that, we were wrestling on the floor. Um, I couldn't get to my phone. Somehow we ended up in the hallway outside the bedroom, and he had his hands around my throat. And it's a strange moment because I remember – not feeling as scared as I should have. 
Um, and I think it's because he wasn't squeezing that hard. I don't know, but I had never been attacked by a person before like this. And so it was so, so strange. And then he started recording me and he's like, you're being so crazy. I'm going to keep this. And I was like trying to get my phone and trying to call for help. And it was just a mess. And it was a Sunday morning. It wasn't even like there was alcohol involved. And then his son is crying in the other room and I'm like, fuck this. So I tell my best friend what happened and I start to look for places. And he tells me, you have to move out. We're, we're over. I'll never forgive you for throwing that glass. And I was like, you strangled me. And he was like, that was an army response. Like, you shouldn't have done that. I was protecting myself and my son. And I was like, what? And I totally believed it. And I was so sorry for what I'd done, which I am sorry for what I'd done. I definitely acted in a way that was unforgivable. I mean, I don't like what he did, but I see how I provoked it. So I just believed that. So uh, after... Um, that happens, uh, you move out. I did. I moved out and I actually felt really good. I was like, wow, fuck that guy. And I'm cool. I'm good. Let's do this. Now, a couple weeks passed. We texted a little bit. I really had no intention of getting back together with him, but then we started talking and he was like, I don't know why, but I want to give you another chance. And I just like ate that up, I guess. I remember being like, okay. And we got in this phone fight one night and he was like I just I don't know why I still really like you but I can't you know but I just don't know if I'll ever be able to forgive you or trust you again and I just was like I don't remember what I said but I gave him another chance and, and in hindsight it's like wait he didn't know how he could ever forgive or trust me and I was apologizing I'm sorry I triggered you I hurt you I I made you think of what your ex-wife did I'm so sorry. And I just apologized a lot. And he must have loved that. So we started dating again. And I was so proud of myself because we didn't move in together until we were engaged. And um, and then I just told all my friends, I was like, this is what I'm doing. I'm doing this because I feel happy and I feel like this is the right move. And I know this is hard for you guys. But and my some of my best friends were very silent and they were like, okay, we love you. We are here for you. And some of my friends were like, I love you. Don't come crying to me. And I still kept my friends, but it changed a little bit of the landscape of some of my friendships. Um, but I will say at the end of the day, when I needed them, they were all there. Even when they judged or felt scared for me or had whatever feelings they had, they were there for me when I needed them at the end. Um, so we have about a good year together. Like there were some fights, but there was nothing scary. I felt good and excited and we were looking at houses and we were planning trips and we were talking about the future. I also got to be his ally as he fought his ex-wife. Every time she did something, you know, that he that was perceived as shitty, I was I could be the cheerleader. And I slowly started being like, I don't really understand this dynamic anymore. But it wasn't like I could take her side. So I stopped being that cheerleader and I just kind of started being a silent partner, but I also loved his son and our kids were brothers at this point. And then we got married and that was fun. And so unbeknownst to you during this time, you know, you're playing the supportive uh, fiance, the supportive uh, wife, and you are not necessarily a flying, well, you're kind of like a flying monkey. You don't really know that you are one at that time of like that you are, he's sowing the seeds against her. She's sowing these seeds to you about who she is. 
Um, you obviously don't think she's uh, great. It's a story you're being told, and that story is really being put inside you as the story, you know, the, the truth, that type of truth. So in that way, your your trust of him is even though you had the the physical incident and you have the fights you have no reason to believe at this point that he's a liar right right he wasn't a cheater and he didn't seem to be a liar he was somebody who also was like i could tell at this point he was somebody who really hyper vigilant always thinking you had to prove yourself not you had to prove yourself like if you he kind of thought that everybody was out to get him in a way, um, or to cheat him. And I feel like he only, unless he were more powerful than he was or made more money, he was better than you. So he only looks up to people in power and he definitely loves being powerful over people who have less. And he would show that in different ways. Sometimes he would be like, you know, they're, you know, they're trying to cheat us, blah, blah, blah. And other times he'd be like, oh, they're just not making that much money. Let's, let's send them or let's, let's pay for dinner tonight. And so it was really interesting when he would pick and choose to be to use that power. You know what I mean? Um, but for you within that context of the type of person that he is, you fallen in line in the sense of you believe that you need to earn your way into his books. Right. And he said to me multiple, like more than once when I, if I tried to be a devil's advocate, whose side are you on anyway? And it's okay. Like, oh, okay. Okay. So it's, it's it's his way or the highway, and at the same time, you have to kind of go above and beyond to have your ranking be steady. If you want to be a general in my army, you got to keep being the general in my army. Right. And you have to you, – it's like you're in a competition in a way. Right. And it – so as this is happening – the part with his ex-wife is interesting because I didn't learn until very recently how orchestrated he kept our distance. I would say things like, maybe I need to go to have lunch with her. Like, we, I'm parenting her kid every other weekend. Like, I want to talk to her mother to mother. Like, we have things in common. We have little boys. We're both divorced. Like, and he was like, no, no, she will hurt you. If she gets close to you, she will find a way to hurt you. He was protecting me from her. And I bought it. Eventually, I was like, I don't buy this anymore. But it was after he hurt me again and again, and I'll get into that. So um, do you feel like you're a prop? Um, like, that yeah. you're, like that you're being used in some sort of way as a facade to show other people or maybe at least, you know, to his ex that, hey – Nothing's wrong over here. So, you know, his wife might actually be going crazy at this time, might actually be saying, like, he has to be abusing her. He has to be abusing her. But you're showing no signs of that. And she might be going, maybe he's not doing it to her, which could be confusing her even more. Right. Right. And she and I have since talked about that. And she was like, I was hoping that he'd changed, especially after you guys had a child. But he hasn't. Mm -hmm. But. Also, it was validating his story when his friends would say, oh, she was crazy. They would get in these crazy fights, blah, 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 and she would do this and da, 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 da. And I don't know if they never saw both sides of it or if he didn't report both sides. Of course he didn't or what, but it was reinforcing, and they loved me. They were like, you're so different than her. 
just so much better. And so I just, my ego was loving that. I didn't mean to be in competition with her, but I was. Um, another thing that was happening in the, the running theme, you know, throughout our whole relationship up until the very, very end was his n- sexual needs were so over the top that it was like, it got to, a, it, I didn't want to have sex ever. And he, if I didn't, I remember thinking, I, I can't wait till I'm sick because surely he doesn't want me to touch him when I'm sick. But that wasn't even true. When I was nine months pregnant, he still wanted sex. Um, when, and it got to a point where if he was sick, I mean, he called all the shots with sex. If I wasn't in the mood, I feel like it was either, it was Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde. Sometimes it was like, okay, let's watch TV. And sometimes it was, ugh, whatever. Or your libido is so low. And I'm like, I, and I would say, you're, we do stuff like five times a week. And can I please have a headache? Like I literally would ask permission. Like, do I need to ask permission to have a headache tonight? He's like, what do you mean? I'm like, I don't want to do anything tonight. I'm tired. I worked all day, whatever. And sometimes it was like, yeah, of course. And other times it was no. And it, it was coercion in that I was never physically coerced or, or it was physical. It was sexual violence in that it was, well, I'm not interested in a relationship like this, or if I'm not getting it from you, I'm going to get it somewhere. Or why is your libido low? Things like that to make me feel bad and scared. And he also never like read the room. Like we were watching game of Thrones, like season something finale. And he was trying to fool around with me. And I just let him, I was like, I'm trying to watch this like zombie murder scene. Like, why are you touching my vagina right now? And, but I didn't say stop because it was, I'm, I realized now I was constantly weighing, look, this is less comfortable. This is more comfortable than whatever fit he's going to throw. So I'm just going to go with it. And, um, I would find when he would go out of town for work or when he would be sick, I was so grateful. Or if I like had a weekend away, like it was like, I felt like I had a night off and it it started to feel that way. And I tried to bring it up to him a few times. Like, you know, I I don't feel like a disconnect here. And I just feel like you're not listening to like what I need at the end of the day. And and he was like, Oh, I'm mature. And I was like, well, no, but I mean, he was, but I was trying to find a nice way to say like, I don't want to do this. And this was even before we, um, once we had a baby, it was even harder. Uh, I would be laying there in bed doing the things I was doing and pray. I was, and I had this newborn in the little bassinet next to the bed. And I remember being like, please cry, please cry, please cry. Hoping that the sleeping baby would wake up. Every mother out there listening right now knows you don't want a sleeping baby to wake up. But I would, I was praying for that. So I was like, this guy doesn't give a shit about me or my needs. Only cares about one thing, two things, money and blowjobs. Okay. So we get married and we move in together. And um, the thing that was really interesting was I would find myself in fights with him that I didn't know were coming. And we would get in fights and he would tell me, he would never apologize because he would tell me I started it. And so I never got real apologies and it started to eventually break me down. Uh, one night, four months after we got married, he uh, his company was switching over and he got let go. Anyway. I was doing a cleanse, so I remember I was not drinking. We went out uh, that night, and the weekend that he had gotten um, uh, laid off, 
and he got super wasted and we were at a bar and he was acting a fool and he accidentally, he was doing something stupid in the bar and he like hit me, he like kicked me. And I was like, ow. And I said, stop it, quit it. And it was, I stood up for myself. I was embarrassed. It hurt. It was startling. And he was like, oh, and he lost it. We left the bar. We fought outside. He told me, you're just like my ex-wife. You're the worst. You're the meanest, all these things. And then I was like driving us home. And then I parked the car and he said, pull over, pull over. So I pulled over. I exited the highway and he got out and he walked home. And I had, this was the last time I ever went out without, uh, with, without my uh, debit card. Cause he, we were together. He had money. We were married. Like I brought my ID and my phone. That was it. I didn't have keys. I didn't have money. So I called a friend and a friend gave me an Uber because he walked away with the keys. I couldn't get back in the car. It was a debacle. So I get an Uber home. I'm texting him. Where are you? I'm worried about you. Where are you? And he's like, you messed this up. Fuck you. You you know, I don't forgive these things. Blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I don't know what that means. I was like, I'm sorry. Come home, please. Laying in bed, I hear him come home. And I don't remember how. But I ended up on the floor on the left side of the bed with hands around my throat again. And I, and I, he had thrown something at me. I had a giant bruise. He had went into the kitchen and got a knife and said, I'm going to kill myself. He threw two chairs. They were broken. I remember at one point I hid his keys and I opened a window in another room in case I needed to get in or out. Like these are the type of preparations. And I, I did not get an apology the next day. Instead, we had sex. Um, and I just started, that was when I really started shrinking away. So when you say you start shrinking away, so after that happens, that sequence of events that happens, are, what are you thinking to yourself? Like what's kind of actually going on in your head? I remember thinking, I think I'm going to have some power now because he's, there's a bruise. There's a giant bruise on my arm and he's going to see it. And I made sure, I mean, it was the summertime. So I, I was wearing tank tops and I made sure he saw it. And I, and he only mentioned it once or twice. And I said, I, I said something like, I don't want this to happen again, or don't forget this or something like that. And then he never brought it up again. And so you're still in your mind fighting for control or thinking that you can take this situation that just happened and use it to gain some of your control back. Yeah, I think so. I think it was gaining control back, but it was also at this point, like, please validate this. He later said like, that didn't happen. I was like, you were wasted that night. I was not at all because I was not drinking. And I'm sorry that you don't remember it, but you choked me again. I will also never fucking forget screaming, help, 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 waiting, hoping that the very loud upstairs apartment neighbor would come down and nobody came for help. Nobody came to my, to help. And I have no idea if he actually heard me. In fact, that's not true. He must have, because I could hear him all the time. And, um, but it was another one of those situations where I wasn't as scared as I should have been or something. It was confusing. I feel confused. Did you still think that you could change everything like that? you know, that you were, that he can change, this whole situation can change? Yeah, I must have because we got pregnant a couple of months later. Um, and yeah, because at this point too, we knew we wanted a baby and I wanted another baby. Um, the boys were brothers. We were, you know, we had just gotten married. Like I wasn't going to walk away. Also, how embarrassing. I wasn't going to tell my friends, oh, I just married this guy and choked me again. Like I was just going to live it out. 
because I wasn't going to be embarrassed. So, um, so, you know, the embarrassment, the shared future, you're still in, you feel like you can deal with this and that you do have some sense of possibility of control within what's going on. Right. Somehow I will make him a better person because I can't be in this relation. I'm not going to leave right now. And I mean, I, at this point I wasn't going to leave. I was like, just going to be in it and surely he'll get better. Did, Did you have a thing in your mind that said, if he does this or X or X or X down the road, then I'll leave. Did you have like that in your head? I did. If he does that again, I'll leave because I had to say that to myself. I didn't know at the time that it was like, you know, but yeah, you know, it made me feel better to say, if he does it again, I'm leaving. Um, It made me feel like I had some sense of control. So we got pregnant and certain things started to show when, when I was pregnant, I remember just things that were very discourteous. I started coming to, and I think part of it is that, you know, I was, I'm already a mother and now I'm carrying a baby. So your mom instincts are like really on. And I start being more keenly aware of things. Like one time we had friends over for dinner and I'm like big and pregnant and he watches me stand in the kitchen the whole time and like takes a seat and like, doesn't offer help. Like, Little things like that. Um, Also, still, like, I'm at the bottom of the bed performing sexual acts with my giant, I'm crying. And I'm like, he doesn't even know I'm crying. And I'm down here. And doesn't he know that this hurts? My body hurts right now. I'm, like, so pregnant. And, um, And so we have a baby. And she's a couple days old. And he's holding her. And I look over and her foot is blue. And I was like, why is she blue? Why is her foot blue? And he's like, I don't know. He wasn't paying attention to the way she was being held. And her little, you know, her little blood flow wasn't happening. And it wasn't a big deal in that she's totally fine. But from that moment, I was like, this is my baby. I am protecting her. I have to protect me. I have to protect her. Like, from that moment on, I was like, I'm her. I'm going to care for her. And the relationship with him and her was so different than that with my son and his dad. We did everything together. Yes, it was our first baby, but we changed diapers together and we did bedtime together and we did this and we did that. I did it all by myself and I didn't even ask him to come help. Like I remember telling a friend, I said something about, I didn't invite him to bedtime. And she was like, it's weird that you use that word because he never offered to come in and do bedtime with us. It was our thing. And I also didn't want him there. So as I start, as she started getting a little older, I started really thinking more about what is this relationship. Um, How's the rest of your life doing at this point? How's work and your social life? Was he, ever, so- was, was he ever controlling as far as, you know, your friends go or did, uh, you know, were you hanging out with more with uh, his friends? That's a really good point. I actually never invited him around my friends. He, every now and again, he would come to something and it would be awkward and nobody would really talk. And it was like, they were like, you could tell that they were like, I guess he's coming. So I did things with my friends and we did things with his friends, but I very rarely invited him to things with my friends because they didn't like him. They didn't like him because of what had happened before. They didn't like him because they knew that I was different and they saw what I couldn't see. They were like, he's kind of a jerk, but I, they also were just going to kind of, I don't know. But yeah, there were also times where, 
he would start to say things like, why can't I come to brunch? And I was like, it's girls brunch. We do this. I have this group. It's very important to me. I do it every month. Like, no, you can't come to that. And it would be a big fight. And he'd be like, oh, I'm done with this. And every time we would get in a big fight like that, he would say, I can't, I'm, I'm done with this. I'm not doing this with you anymore. And I would immediately freak out. And so I would fix it. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Please don't leave. Blah, blah, blah. And I was like, hey. And I mean, I just remember like, and in, again, and again, in hindsight, you know, he must have loved that. Please don't go, please. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But, you know, just trying to make it better. He also would, if I would tell him I wanted to plan a girl's trip, he would make me feel bad. Like, well, you can't go there. I want to go. And I was like, well, we can go again. And he was like, it's not as fun if you've already been. Pick somewhere else to go. And then he would say things like, I have friends ask me to go on trips and I would never not invite you. And just things like that where I, so I would like tell my girlfriends like, oh, I would think of a lie. Like, you know what? I really want to take my mom on that trip. Can we go somewhere else? Or like, you know what? He and I were already talking about that. Um, and so those types of, of things. So when the baby was eight months old, we went on a trip as a family and he was telling me about a documentary he saw on like polyamory. And I remember thinking, yeah, I don't really get marriage, but I wasn't happy. I was just like, I don't really understand why humans marry. I don't think we're supposed to mate for life. Like, I don't really actually understand what this construct is, to be quite honest. And he was like, wait, really? And I'm like, yeah. And so we kind of started talking about swinging and I jumped on that. I was like, oh, that sounds kind of fun. A, I was like, maybe it'll be good for us. B, I was like, I can put energy toward other people and other people can be nice to me. I didn't really know that's what I was looking for at the time, but I knew that Maybe I could find some enjoyment in sex because I was not having it at all with him. It was a chore and I hated it, to be quite honest. Um, so we uh, looked into that and we started doing that. And it was actually, at first it was really fun and we got really close. And I remember thinking to myself, we have a chance. Like, we have a chance. We're going to be okay. We communicated really well for a while. We were so close, but he was he was only close to me and nice to me when his sexual needs were met. And he would say, it's a cycle. If my needs are met, I can meet your needs and so on. And I believe that instead of you're really tired or you, you know, you must've had a hard day. Like maybe we can go on a date this weekend. Like it was never about what I might need. It was, if I'm satisfied, I can be nice to you. And he didn't see anything wrong with that thinking. We both know that's flawed as fuck. Um, and so we started swinging and it was fun because we got to get dressed up. We'd go to parties. We would go on vacations. We would meet people. And I thought at the time we were really communicating. We were really communicating with each other verbally and non-verbally. And it's like, good. And then it was like, I don't want to do this. Like, he'd be like, oh, let's go do this and da, 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 da. And again, yet again, everything started revolving around sex. And like, I don't want to have sex with anybody right now. Like, just, and then, or he would get mad at a party and we would leave and he was yelling, be yelling at me in the Uber on the way home. And I'm just like taking it and I'm having to deescalate and deescalate and or whatever. Like it just, it, it only lasted for a minute basically. So a big theme here throughout everything besides the physical violence is not just, you know, using the word sex, but it's it's really you know your your body and sexuality is a big part of the control of everything from the beginning yeah it took me a really long time to figure that out um i i remember there were times where i would be 
in the dark, always in the dark, because in the dark I could cry. And in the dark I could wince. And I remember negotiating with myself. And there will be times, whether it was after sex or if it was on the way home from, you know, somewhere and we were in a fight and I would say things to myself, like, just be that wife. You have everything you want. You have a nice house. You have, you don't have to work full time. I mean, I was always worked like three quarters time, but I didn't have to like hustle to make money. Um, uh, I, we were going on vacations, like things were fine. So I would tell myself, just be that wife. And you'll be fine. You, this you, this is not that bad. And so the negotiating started, and then eventually, it, it luckily it turned into you don't have to do this very long. Let's get out. And so that's later. But um, so the real breaking point where it where it starts to switch from the negotiating, just stick with it, to the let's figure out how to get out, happened when we went to a swinger party in Las Vegas. And the first night we were there, we just went and did our own thing. We went to a show. We did whatever. It was so much fun. And we were just like having the best time. And then the next night we went to a party and we were drinking and I met a girl and we were, she and I were just chatty, 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 chatty. You know how you get when you're having some cocktails. And we went back to her room and we were not doing anything. Like it was not that he's even listening to this, but like, I swear to the listeners, we were not going to, we were just totally connecting. And I, I left, I left him at the party and I went back um, to a different part of the hotel with her. And then I realized I was like, oh, I should probably go find him. I think I texted him. And then when I walked out to look for him, I saw him walking toward me and he was livid. And I said, Hey, and he was like, no, no. And I was like, wait, what? And I looked at her, I was like, I gotta go. And it's funny because she and I were talking about um, abusive relationships. Cause I think in my partly drinking state, I was trying, starting to confess to a stranger. Um, and so I followed him back to our hotel room and I was like, no, 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 no. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Like, what did I do? What did I do? And I start like trying to like deescalate. And this was the time where I ended up on the ground again. At one point, I remember I hit my head on the table. I was trying to call for help. He smashed my phone. The phone thing was a theme. Every time I went for my phone is when he choked me because my phone meant calling for help and meant ruining his life. Also, not only did he not ever apologize, he also never thanked me for never calling the police. Um, but here we are in Vegas and he chokes me and this time I can't breathe. And the, I remember, I must have remembered somewhere around there that the other times think I could breathe but this time I remember trying and I couldn't and when he let up I said please don't I have kids and I begged for my life for my children in that moment and then he said I'm gonna kill myself and blah 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 and ran out of the room at that point I ran out too because I was gonna go the opposite direction to get help he was waiting outside for me and he goes you were gonna let me leave and he pushed me back in and did it again and I finally got out and I ran out in my fucking lingerie. People saw me. They came in. It was a whole thing. We got kicked out of the hotel. Nobody called the police. Again, like, it, again, it was just another one of those times where nobody really seemed to care. So I guess I didn't care. I was numb as hell after that, though. Um, it was so scary. And that night, he called me all these names and yelled at me and whatever. My phone is completely broken and I'm in another state. 
So the next morning, he gets up and he just crawls in bed next to me and is like, I don't think he said, I'm sorry. I think he said, I mean, maybe he said sorry, but those words don't mean shit. They were just like, are you mad at me? I feel so bad. I feel so terrible that I've done this. I'm such a horrible person. I, 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 I. Not how are you? Not that must have been really scary. Not something's extremely wrong because I keep strangling my wives. Um, so. When he says things like, I'm a terrible person, do you caretake that? Or were you like, no, you are. At first, that first day afterward, I just remember laying there, like, staring at the ceiling. And he and I just, you know, had my arm, like, he was laying on my arm on the bed. And I don't remember doing either. In my mind, I was like, yes, yes. But out loud, I wasn't saying, no, you're not. I wasn't caretaking. I was just, there was nothing. I had nothing to say. Like, I was in, like, a trauma state. Um, and so we got home. I also remember being like, this asshole isn't going to ask for sex for a while. So I used it to my advantage too. Of course, that didn't last very long. And we came home and things were calm for a little while, as they always are, if you know anything about the cycle of abuse. And I said, I'm going to start seeing a domestic violence counselor. How does that make you feel? I was like, really bad. And I'm like, yeah, I'm seeing a specialized counselor for domestic abuse. And I kind of, this was when I started taking some of my power back. And, um, I still hadn't told anybody. I didn't tell my mother. I didn't tell my friends. The only person that knew was this counselor. Um, and she helped me realize I was so angry. Like, I was so angry, but when I was with him, I was so numb. And, of course, then when things go back to normal, he's like, why aren't you over this yet? You're just going to hold this over my head forever. Remember when you threw that glass? Oh, you better believe that shit came up for years. Still does. Um, and... I just, he would, he was such a bully. Um, he did, he planned something for Mother's Day and I didn't give him the adoration for it he wanted and he got all mad at me. And, you know, every time we got in a fight, it was me trying, I would concede, okay, hey, can we calm down? Hey, da 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 da. Can we see a counselor? No, you just need to get happy. You just need to ride this wave with me. Okay, well, I'm going to go see the counselor by myself. I'm going to go see a, a, a counselor by myself. And he was like, yeah, you should go. I'm like, okay, guess I'm going to the, the, couples counseling so at this point i'm on my own so when you go to the couples counselor and you say you're going to go see a domestic violence counselor specifically you know in my mind it's like when if someone were to take a gun and like a cop or something and or, or whatever a scene and, and like shoot it in the air is like a warning signal, and everyone just kind of slowly stops and looks at you just to, you, and you're like you know at this point you're serious mm-hmm. so does he start to tread lightly a little? So he doesn't even try to tread lightly around you. No, at this point, he's saying things to me like, I'm not going to be defined by my worst moments. You are just, are you just going to be a victim forever? Um, and I would say things like, I'm trying to, this is so, this is hard. Like, and then we would still, for a little while, we were still doing like some swinger things. And um, that was when some of the like getting drunk, but it got to a point where, I was always on high alert. So that was how it was. If he got, oh, did I lose you? Oh, no. I was just, I was, uh, I was, I, I was trying to remember something you said there, which was, uh, I, I'm not going to be defined by my worst moments, which is a really interesting uh, line. 
in my mind. That I heard multiple times. You know, this is because it's just like this person. It's like he's like in a weird way. He's got the Tony Robbins thinking, you know, this this power. Like if I believe just the most positive things, these other things don't exist. Yeah. That's exactly right. If you keep believing them and I don't, then you're just only going to see me as this villain. It's like, but I'm still healing. And he was basically like, hurry up. Like, why is it taking so long? It's like he's trying to take that positive psychology thing that those people sell that he believes himself. Mm -hmm. And he's trying to get you to believe the exact same thing he believes. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And it, it was, it was but there was still no validation or recognition. It was like, why can't you get happy? Come on, be positive. Don't define yourself by this. Don't be a victim. And it, But the thing is, he didn't even frame it nicely like you just did. He wants you, it's like he, he wants you to be a spiritual bypasser. <sighs> yeah, you know it. That's exactly right. It was, what I did was in the past, and there are better things to dwell on. But it's like, I... He didn't understand the trauma brain, none of that. And yeah, he just wanted me to bypass. He doesn't want you to process anything. No, no, because it makes him the monster that he was and, and is. And he was, couldn't, I don't know. He just, he just couldn't. So now we're at a point where everything, every time that he's drinking, and this was even before the Vegas thing, like if he was drinking, I wasn't because I was having to watch the situation. If he was drinking or angry, or if he was angry and not drinking, I was having to watch the situation. I was, like, in constant de-escalation mode. Um, there would be things he would get mad at me, and I'd be like, I don't know what's happening right now. Oh, well, you didn't do da-da-da-da-da. I'm like, what? And then if I would, like, you know, pull a power move and be like, I'm just not talking to you until he'd be like, oh, are you just going to ignore me forever? And I'm like, you've been mean to me. Like, it, his behavior and the effects of it never got taken into consideration it was only how i responded or reacted to him and so it always felt one-sided um so anyway we i am messaging with a girlfriend my best friend nobody knows anything about the physical stuff yet but i've been dropping hints to my best friend about like what do i do i'm not sure i'm that happy blah 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 and i have a message a text message with her and it says in there I'm, I've got to go. I just don't know when. And she's like, yeah, well, he's a fucking idiot, blah, 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 whatever. I had that open on the iPad. I walked out. I set it in the kitchen. And then I went and I did something. Totally forgot about it. He looked at it and he was like, so this has a shelf life. And I was like, Ugh. and I was, it's such a weird moment because I remember it was like, I could be really, really scared right now. Or I could just deal with this so pragmatically. Both my kids were home. So like I had to, I was like, yeah, he was like, oh, I'm going to sleep at the other house, blah, blah, blah. And he went and left. And and I was like, okay, well, I guess guess this is it. And I just used that as like a, a – I used it as the pivoting moment that it could be, you know. I was still super scared. But I brought both the kids and I laid them in bed with me, which he was very mad about. He's like, oh, I thought we were going to talk. I guess we won't. And I was like, well, I've got my kids in the bed. But I told my best friend. I said, he hurt me and he hurt me physically. And she was like, okay. And I told my other best friend, and the next day I told my mom. The day after that, I told my best friend, and I slowly started to tell people. And that was huge because nobody knew. And also, nobody turned their back. Nobody said, I told you so. Everybody was like, okay, 
what the fuck? <laughs> what, what do you need? And um, a few months after that, uh, him realizing that I was talking about leaving, um, you know, COVID hit. And it was like, I guess we need each other. You don't want to be alone and I don't want to be poor. And all of the fears kept coming back, you know? Um, so in that time, I would say things, I would try to start saying things like, I don't, oh, oh, hold on. Let me backtrack. We tried to separate after he found out about that. We had a trial separation, which literally he, we have two houses. He stayed at one house. I stayed at the other and he would come, you know, we would meet up for dinner at the house and do the bedtime with the kids, which I still just did on my own. And then he would kind of hover around until to see if we were going to have sex before he went home. And I was like, that's not a separation. He was like, I still have needs. And I was like, what? Like, I don't, you hurt my body. My body doesn't want to be vulnerable with you. How could you still be asking for sexual stuff? Well, we're separated. He was like, well, that doesn't mean, you know, that we don't have sex. I'm like, well, it kind of does. He said, not if we don't want it to, you know, I'm going to get it somewhere else. I'm like, wait, so we can't be separated for me to heal unless you are getting laid. Like, I'm just pausing to fucking wrap my brain around that. And so I did all this research. I looked up, what is a, a, a structured separation? You answer these questions. You did it, da, 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 and I, I proposed it to him. I was like, who do we tell? How do we do this? Da, 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 you know, and I, I found all this information for both of us to, like, have this structured separation so that we could get back to an okay place. And he was like, I don't want to do that. He was like, we just make up our own thing. Like we don't, I'm not going to answer all these questions and do all this stuff. He just did not want to do the work. And when I told him, let's go see a counselor and tell her, he goes, no, we're not, I will go to therapy with you. You are not going to tell them what happened. That will skew them. It will be two against one. I'm not going to do it. That's my line in the sand. I said, okay, then we're done. And then we had this same bullshit conversation back and forth for a few months. Finally, we went to a counselor and he was like, don't bring it up. So there we are with control again. So we went to see her a few times and I just was like, I remember being just so shut down in those sessions. So shut down because she's trying to talk about communication and listening to our body signals when we get upset and all the things you might do with a normal one, normal, you know, couple. And I'm sitting there having to bite my tongue when I want to tell her he's abusive. He hurts me. He's mean. Like, and he would say, I'm not abusive because I don't do it all the time. It's not a pattern. It's not like it happens all the time. So that was his thinking, which at some point I believed, and then I didn't believe it anymore. Um, and when I finally spoke up in our couples counseling, I said, um, I said, what do you do? Like, if there's, you know, if somebody's hurting you and I was really like, um, I tried to be really sneaky about it and it wasn't sneaky enough. And he was like, I'm done. And he left the session with the car. And then went and picked up our child and I was hyperventilating in her office because I'm like, oh my God, what if he hurts our kid to hurt me, blah, blah, blah. And she was like, okay, he's done. I'm not seeing the two of you anymore. You are here. Tell me what really happened. And I told her and she was like, you are in danger. This is what you need to do. Blah, 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 blah. And I love her. I loved her for that moment because she was like, don't go home tonight. I don't even care if you need clean panties. Go to, you're going to go to your mom's. Okay. You're going to do this. You're going to, okay, don't go home tonight. And it was just, it was another kind of one of those moments where I was like, this is, he's never going to accept this. So at this point, you know, 
you know everything that's kind of going on. You're getting validation mm-hmm. for your first time from your friends, from this therapist who's a stranger who's met him. So, you know, the shared future, that might not be a big driver going forward as far as keeping you there, you know, because where is the future? But a big driver here is your lifestyle. You're used to a certain way of life at this point. And now the fear of all of it being taken away and mm-hmm. the struggle of being a single mom with multiple children. And he might have whatever money. What are you going to get? You know, what's your life going to be like once everything is split? You're still going to be struggling. How big of a fear is that going to be playing into, you know, the next bit of a struggle that you might have? Right. And that kept me there for another year. I was so afraid of um, being poor. And I realized I finally started to see things that, when he started feeling me pull away, he would do one of two tactics. It was either let's go to Hawaii. You've been wanting to go, let's book a trip or, um, you know how much money you spend, right? You know, things are going to change. So it was reminding me on one way or the other that I, or he would say things like, I know I'm just your paycheck. And also let me remind everybody. I never didn't work. I have a degree, a master's degree. I work. I've always worked. I've also had side gigs. Like, I mean, I've always brought in money, but when you get a narrative, like, um, things like, you know, eventually we'll, we don't even need your income. Or if you work, like, it'll just be fun money to, you need to pick up more patients. Why aren't you making more money? And I'd be like, I don't know what you want me to do. Do you want me working more or is my income not important? Like, I'm so confused, which was a brilliant tactic. Keep me wondering, keep me guessing about our finances. Tell me, go spend money on something that's frivolous, but then tell me we can't afford something else. Like that's pretty freaking brilliant. Right. Um, and you know, I had access to all the, I could look at all the documents, but I never did. Why would I like, there was always money for groceries. There was always money. We never went to zero. Like there was always enough. But when I think about it, even in this moment right now, those little tactics to, to keep that fear of lack alive and well, so smart on his part, but that, I mean, so cunning in a bad way. So, um, the pandemic hit. And at this point I, we're still together and everybody's going through it. So like, I'm really not getting any, uh, you know, I, I don't feel like I have to, I remember saying to my friends, like, let me just get through this. And they were like, girl, everyone's getting through what they need to. Like, we love you. We're here. Um, and so I, I kind of like was able to get that personal guilt or shame off my shoulder for the moment. Um, but, but, in this time, in this pandemic time, I was like, I have got to start saving money. I've got to do something else. So I opened up another account. I started getting side gigs that I would just get paid through like like other channels um, or cash. And I would put them there. I opened it in my name, but I kept all the paperwork at my mom's house. Um, I started learning how to do freelance writing because I'm a writer. And I was like, well, maybe I can turn my writing into money. So I took a freelance writing course. And made my website and I did all this stuff. And I was doing all of this, even though he knew about some of it, it was under the guise of like, oh, I'm really going to like take off with my career in this other way, which I wanted to. But what I was really hoping was I'm going to get another skill set and I'm going to get side gigs so that I can hide money away because I need money to leave. And I did. I made money and I was able to um, 
you know, get enough where I felt comfortable. But um, what ended up finally being the last straw, which is so funny, it's interesting what the last straws are. And some of the ones, like for me, one of the biggest ways to wound me is to just completely act like I don't exist. And when that would happen, he, I, I would be in trouble for something I didn't know I did. Then not only would I get berated, then I would get ignored. I mean, that's just mean. And at this point, I was, I had been told so often that I wasn't trying to, to work on this marriage anymore. I wasn't trying. I wasn't working hard enough. I wasn't happy. Why aren't you happy? Blah, 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 blah. I mean, I just was so, I was a shell. And... I told him, I was like, I'm moving out and leaving. And I kind of, you know, we had these big fights and with, I would move a box and it'd be like, see, I really mean it. I move it. I moved this box over to the other house today. So one Friday night, we had a lovely night. Kids went to bed and, you know, we both knew that it was coming to an end, but we were, I guess we were going to be bigger people and have a nice night. And I didn't want to, I was, he said, you want to have a glass of wine? And I remember thinking, no. And I said, yeah, let's have some wine. So we poured the glass of wine. We're sitting in the backyard. And at this point, not only have I been putting money aside and making plans and, and literally trying to change my career, also, you know, I have my own, also trying to change my career, I also have been secretly talking to his ex-wife. And he does not know this, obviously, because it's literally the most dangerous thing I could have been doing. If he found the money, I wouldn't be as scared. If I cheated on him, I wouldn't be as scared. Like, um, What have you been learning from her? So... I had been slowly feeding her little bits of like to try to see what she would say. And the fact that she told me her story and it was my story, I was like, wow, wow. Like he really orchestrated us not, not ever meeting, not ever talking. And then when we did finally start talking, he was like, I don't, I only want you talking to her about stuff that has to do with kids. Like you do not want to be her friend. You guys are not friends. And it's like, I mean, okay. But then I started communicating with her on the side. We met one time when she was in town um, and I was so scared. I was like, I had lied to him. I told him that I was going and doing something else, but I really met up with her. And he, she told me everything about, I mean, not everything, but she told me things. And she was like, she totally knew too, that I was in a really precarious um, place. And so, but I also knew that she still was really hurt by him and hated him because all of the same stuff that happened to me happened to her. And then some, as she told me her story, I just, I couldn't believe how similar it was to mine. And I didn't tell her anything. It's like, you know, when you go see a psychic and you're like, I'm not going to tell them anything. I'm just going to see what they know. Like, that's what it was like. And she knew a lot. And I also felt like she cared. And I was like, she's either really good and a sociopath, like he said she is, or she really cares and it doesn't want me to get hurt. And I went with that one. And so I started talking to her more. So that night we're sitting by the pool and he says, I'm never going to trust you. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And he's totally baited me at this point. And I said, he caught me, you know, I was like, oh, I didn't tell anybody. I didn't tell anybody. And he's, he says, you know what you did. And I said, do you mean talking to your ex-wife? And he was like, yeah. And that's when he lost it. He was like, I'll never trust you. I've told you about her. How could you not believe me after everything you've seen her do? I said it was a calculated risk and she's never actually hurt me. So we go back in the house and he's, he's escalated again. I mean, this is another thing. We're like one glass of wine in. So like this man doesn't have to escalate. He doesn't have to be drunk to escalate. He just has to 
feel bad feelings and feel afraid. And he was afraid. This was an acting out of fear because he knows if she and I are allies, his potential for being found out is really high. And so he said, how could you, you know, she told me, right? And I was like, I was like, okay. He said, I know because she told me she ratted you out. And I was like, you know, he was like, and she already told me that she knows everything about what happened with us. And she's taking me back to court and I'm going to lose my son. How could you do that? So we end up in the bedroom. He's screaming in front of the door. And I was like, I need, let me go. Let me go. Like, let me leave the room. And he said, no. And he's yelling, I'm going to kill myself. So I open the back window and I go out of the back. I come around to the front and there he is. Was that the truth that he said that she told him? Yes. That was the, the truth was that he said that. That was not the truth. Okay. Yeah. Cause, yeah, no. cause I was about to say that's a really dangerous situation. She puts you in by doing no. that. No, no, she didn't. Okay. Okay. Because I, yeah. So what ended up happening was I came around the front and he met me out front and was, you know, he came from the front and I was going around the back anyway. So I had my phone in my hand. And as soon as he and I made eye contact and looked down at my phone, I threw it. I don't remember if I threw it at him or I threw it somewhere, but I remember when my phone is in my hand and he's escalated that is a call. That's danger. And so he's like yelling at me in the front yard and, you know, calling me name, telling me that I deserved what happened in Vegas. I shouldn't have left him at that party, blah, blah, blah. I'm such a cunt, da, da, da. And so finally I'm like, I'm getting my daughter and we're leaving. So I go back in, in the house and I walk to the other side. So when you walk in, there's an island. So I go to the other side of the island where I know that at least there's a good bit of distance between us and I go right to the knife block and I, I made sure he saw me pick it up and I and I was like he was like oh you're pulling a knife on me and I said no I'm very scared right now and I want you to see how scared I am I was like leave me the fuck alone get away I'm fucking leaving and you know what's going on like this so we go we manage to get into the baby's room she is sleeping in her bed and I end up on the floor again and he's yelling stop it you're being so crazy. Why are you doing this right now? Like, you know, when somebody's pretending to walk away with footsteps, boom, boom, boom. That's what he was doing. I was like, and I literally was like, are you, are you talking to somebody in another room? What are you doing? Like, leave me alone. He's like, I'm trying to help you. You're going to hurt yourself. Stop it. And it was insane. First of all, uh, my daughter slept through that. I have no idea how. The only reason he stopped is because his son woke up in the other room and started crying. So we went out, I picked her up and I left. And when I put her in the car, he ran out crying, my ex, and was like, please come in and talk to my son. He's scared. He's scared. He's scared. Please don't leave. Please come out and talk to him. Come talk to him. So I love that kid, right? So I go in, the baby's sleeping in the car. He's in the living room. And I got down to his level and I said, I love you. I was like, I'm leaving right now because that's the best thing for me to do. And I, we are family. I will always be here for you. I love you. You hear me? I mean, I made sure I was like, you know, I love you anyway. And he calmed down. And then, you know, here's this guy who just was, had me on the ground going, thank you. Thank you. And I'm like, mm -mm. so that weekend I moved out. I will tell you, I didn't even file for divorce for another eight months. Like it is so hard to leave these people. I was so empowered. I finally did it. I finally left. Right. And you know, it was my 40th birthday weekend and I had a party at my house with my best girlfriends and I celebrated the shit out of myself for doing the hard thing, which was leaving and knowing that things were going to be hard. So once you, that happened 
it took you eight months to get to the divorce part. What happened in between that part to finally get there? Um, an interesting kind of psychological love bombing, if you will. First of all, the holidays came and it was like, let's just spend the holidays together. Ugh, fine, fine. He's being nicer now that there's space between, but he's still wanting to do physical things. And I'm like, I don't, but he's also seeing other people at this point. So we're like having this weird relationship, not relationship, but the finances haven't moved. So I still get to have access to two incomes. And at this point, I'm like, handle him. I can handle it. I'll get there. And people are like, why haven't you filed yet? I'm like, I don't know. I'm scared. I'm scared. I don't, you know, all that same fear is coming up. Then, um, so the holidays happen. Then we have this crazy ass snowstorm and everybody is like, you know, having to kind of just be together. And I was like, you know what? Maybe we'll be okay. Then he reads The Body Keeps the Score. I said, I'm reading this book. It's amazing. He said, I'm going to read that too. And he starts having these big revelations. Oh my God, I was never safe as a child. I'm, you know, and he apologized. He gave me the only apology that I ever felt had some reality behind it. And the reason I don't buy it is because it was later followed up with all kinds of mean things. But in that moment, I really think that he believed he was sorry for what he did. So he was like, I have so much growing to do and learning, and I think I can really help other men. This isn't an unsolvable problem. Like, I, my eyes are opened up by this book, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, he and I were kind of really connecting again. I was like, well, let's kind of see. Let's kind, let's kind of see, right? Then there was a moment where he got mad and snapped and did like the same kind of just shitty thing. And then we went on a walk and I was like, he was still wanting to have sex. And I'm like, I just don't feel it. I don't, I don't want to, you know, why not? Blah, blah, blah. I have needs too. I'm like, but I'm, we're not together. Like what part of this aren't you getting? And so we went on a walk and this was it. We went on a walk and I told him that I was like, I really just want to grow our friendship. Like, let's just, let's, let's parent our kids. Let's be friends. Let's, let's be nice to each other and rebuild the trust. Right. And he was like, that's not good enough for me. And I was like, uh, okay. He was like, that's not enough. If you don't ever, if you want to have sex, like never or once or whatever, then I, that's, I don't want that. Like, I don't need more friends. And I was like, wait, what happened to like, I'm so sorry. I put you through this pain. You have some, you must have so much healing to do. Let me help you with your healing. Like all of that went out the window when I didn't want a physical relationship anymore. And, um, so he yelled at me on the street and I said, you know what? I'm scared. He was like, oh, fuck you. You're not scared. Totally took away my feeling Threw things, slammed the door, blah, blah, blah. And, um, and I just was shaking. I mean, the, the amount of like fear that comes up when somebody like that is escalated. I'm like, I wish my body would stop shaking. I was crying. And, um, I had a point about a week later where it, this is this interesting tipping point where all of a sudden I was no longer, I was like, so I have debt from a lawyer. So I have to pick up more hours of patients at work. So what? That is well worth it if I don't have to do this anymore. And it was like this calm, like I always just picture it like this, this precipice or this peak and it just tipped. And I was like, filing, 
hitting the button to say yes to my retainer. I, I paid for the retainer while I was doing a telehealth therapy with my therapist. She's like, let's do this together. So freeing because he had been talking me out of using a lawyer the whole time. Oh, well, we don't need to do that. You know, you, you don't need, I'm not going to pay that much child support. You don't need that. She's not that expensive, blah, blah, blah. Like all of these tactics when it was like, I'm not negotiating with you anymore. I'm not talking to you at all anymore. I'm done with this. I don't care how much it costs. And it just shifted. And it took a really, really long time. And we're still in the middle of it. I mean, we don't speak now. Uh, if we do, it's, I mean, if he sends ugly texts, I do my best to gray rock. I learned that term recently. Um, but we're still in the middle of it. You know, we're still negotiating. And, you know, he's saying, here's what you can get. And I'm like, there's money hidden. There's money owed. There's just, it's not even about money. It's about like, you don't think that you did anything wrong. You don't think that your behavior was, was grounds for divorce. You don't think that the after effects really matter. And that I'm just an angry ex who's an opportunist. That's what he told me. You are a fake victim and you only care about yourself and I see right through you. And I don't care that he thinks that because I feel a sense of liberation that once that I accepted the fact that this was going to be hard and this was going to cost money and I'm totally okay with it, my, my need, things inside me shifted. So, so you're in the divorce process right now. Is he doing things to... Um, drain you of money in it right now or like how's he acting within it are, are things like every little inch difficult yes as soon as prior to my filing he would say things like maybe we can just stay married on paper and you know be business partners we can buy properties we can do this that and the other and we just won't be together and i was like i mean okay like we can talk about that i guess but as soon as i filed for divorce he stopped putting his direct deposit in he started letting the account get to zero he started withholding money and telling his lawyer that i, I was overspending i mean just like it went from i can't manipulate you this way so i will manipulate you financially and i will try to pull at those vulnerabilities as much as i can and i try not to let him let it know that it bothered me so Within the context of your whole entire relationship, before we get to any healing or anything like that, are there things that happened or like in it that you wish you might have done differently? Like in a sense of you never called the police on him. And do you maybe wish you did, uh, you know, at, at a certain point because... Here's a guy who's been framing his wife to everyone in a specific way. But if you were able to have taken the whole police thing and had them show up and there be a DV charge against him, well, now there's two. Mm -hmm. His facade would have really been broken there because that's a big thing for him that facade of which he shows everyone else and that's a danger to him 
um, is that a regret at all that you don't have that on the on the books? Not that you know. I'm not saying that to everyone that you should regret any of these things because going to the police is very difficult. But with this specific person and the facades that they're trying to put up for everyone, that's a big thing that he should have always been scared of. Right. And I, I do. I mean, I regret it in that you're right. Like when I left, I had a, a, a friend of his, uh, his best friend's wife reached out to me and was like, I heard, I'm sorry. And I just wanted so badly to tell her, you know why, right? Like, let me just tell you. And his mother, I wanted to tell everybody, but I still, I didn't still, I, I said, there are some things that you just don't forgive and you don't get over, you know, thanks for reaching out. And I'm just thinking, my thought was this. Everyone said, oh, she was so, all these terrible things. But they loved me. They loved me and I left. Maybe, maybe they know. Then I also thought, or maybe they know he's this way and they're allowing it. Nobody's calling him on his bullshit. The only ones who are calling him on his bullshit are me and the other person that he's hurt or anybody else he's hurting. And so no one is letting him know that these, this is not okay. I would hope that, like, his best friend, his mother, his brother, somebody would say, um, so you've got this history with these women. Okay, so fine. What's happening? Because this is not okay. But instead, either they don't know the whole story or they do and they don't care or whatever. So as much as I wish I'd called the police for my own sake, because you know what he told me one time standing in the, in the driveway? He goes, I will lie. You don't have a police report. He told me, you don't have a police report. And I was like, cool. Can't believe that those words just came out of your mouth. Like, this is the kind of person you are. That's what you told me. And I also got to a point where I really wanted his friends to know. Like, you hated her and you love me. You got to see that there's a common denominator here, right? And I was like, I don't care. I don't care about them. I didn't lose any of my friends. They were his friends. So as far as you go, the fog that you are in lifted you're aware of all these things you're learning about what had just happened uh you're learning about yourself of why you were there so what's the relationship that you're having with yourself now in the healing aspect of things and what is the relationship now like with your body because it played such a big role um, that's a really good question, and it's interesting because I, year, a couple of years ago, after the Vegas incident, I finally read um, "Why Does He Do That," that book by Lundy Bancroft, and I it was like I highlighted so much of it, and I would hide it, like I didn't want him to know that I had that book, and um, I listened to it again a couple months ago, and as I listened to it on the audiobook, when I got to the sexual coercion. I had these, like, I would be driving and listening and my stomach would just seize up and I would feel sick. And I had no idea how controlled my body was in that way. And I, I am so, like, right now, I just listen to my body. If I feel like I'm feeling randy, then I have a vibrator, like, or whatever. Or I also can have, I don't know, I don't really have anybody to have unattached sex with, but that's fine. I don't feel these, like, I don't have a need for it. I'm just, I don't feel like my libido is low. I feel like, like my, my libido is normal, but I'm listening to my body. And I was so touched out by this man who needed so much, but also I'm, I, I work with kids. I have little kids. I am, I am being 
touched on all day long. Like, I don't have a need for that right now. And so, and that's okay. I don't feel bad about it. And there's nobody around making me feel bad. So I'm healing my sexual self. I'm figuring out, have I ever enjoyed sex or has it always been for somebody else? What is it that I even want in the bedroom? And I'm asking myself those questions. And I'm figuring it out that way. And it feels really nice to not be beholden to anybody emotionally or sexually right now, except for, you know, emotionally, it's like, I want to raise my children to be good people and all that good stuff. But at the end of the night, there isn't somebody waiting for me to get a second wind so that I can make sure that they feel glad they were born because that, you know, it's like, I just get to be me. And as far as emotional healing, I'm still in therapy. I've done EMDR therapy. I do group therapy with the, um, with the domestic violence um, group here in our town. I do that uh, once a week. I'm getting trained to be, I'm gonna do a training to be um, an advocate for domestic violence survivors. I um, have articles that I've written about the subject. Um, I, um, I basically, I'm like, I'm taking this experience and I'm growing from it and I don't want, I don't have a victim mentality and I honestly don't have a survivor mentality. I have a, this is, here I am and I have this experience and I can take this and I can help other people through their experiences. And that's what I want to do with this. I want this not, this whole experience to be worth, to mean something to me and for people going through it, because I realize now, and it's still happening. I'm still realizing so much, like so much of me was silent. So much of my body was like, so much of who I was was used against me. Um, I wasn't allowed to, to, there were certain things like with the whole sex thing, like, you know, I, I had a low libido if I wasn't in the mood that night or I wasn't worried, caring about his um, needs if I didn't. So all of that kind of stuff, I'm just trying to re-find and also newly find things about myself to grow forward. So if you have any words of wisdom or advice for others going through it, what would it be? Ooh, that's good. This is what it would be. We all got here somehow. And I really want to drive home that it's okay. There is nothing wrong with you. And you did not deserve that. There is healing. And there and it takes a lot of work. And it takes a lot of bravery. So I think what I want to say is like, just give yourself as much grace and forgiveness and compassion as you possibly can while you make the long arduous, potentially very hard journey to the other side. And you will get there. And I just want to re- just drive home that it's okay that you're here now. There's light. You will get there. Just be compassionate with yourself. It's in your time. You will heal in your time. Well, Penelope, we did it. We, did it. <laughs> we both said that at the same time. We, we did it. We did it. You know, uh, three times a charm, but in our case, it only, it only took twice. <laughs> so, exactly. you know, we ha- if people don't understand, we had a lot of technical difficulties throughout this. And this, you know, you're going to hear a really se- seamless version. But you're going to take 14 hours. But it wasn't uh, seamless. And, you know, you did a really good job considering the circumstances of, of all of the pauses we've had to go through, uh, <laughs> let alone that you just did a really good job of sharing your story. And so many people are going to be empowered by, by hearing you today. And I, from the bottom of my heart, thank you so much for being here with me today. 
Thank you so much. So for everyone from myself and Penelope Penelope, we hope you have a good night. <laughs>